As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray for illumination. Prepare our hearts, Holy One, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that, hearing, we may also obey your good and life-giving will. In Christ, amen. Our first reading comes from Genesis. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was no one to till the ground, but a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flows out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divides and becomes four branches. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may eat freely of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made it into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife and may become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Our second reading comes from the Gospel according to Mark. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. Holy wisdom, holy word, 
Thanks be to God. Uh, my congratulations to all of you who made it here in the midst of the Hyde Park Art Fair. Thank you for your persistence in dealing with parking and coming to worship with us this morning, uh, especially parents who brought their children along to sing with Zach Morgan at 11. We had a group uh, at 9 o'clock as well that was quite a bit larger, and I can't wait to see the video. But I also want to share with all of you that uh, the really wonderful thing about what the children did with Zach is process. The idea that they learned about their faith and then did something creative together as a part of writing this song. And the most meaningful part about it for me was when on a random Tuesday night, my boys were getting ready for bed and my four and five-year-old were singing to each other, the fruit of the spirit, the fruit's not far behind. Because it's that, those kinds of rhythms that happen naturally that help us to lock in faith as a formative part of our lives. So thank you, Zach, for working with our children. Let's pray together as we go to God's word. Startle us, O God, with your truth, with the surprise of your love and grace, enliven in us a newness in ancient stories. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Chris is a mom, or Chris could be a dad, who's got a lot going on. In addition to being a parent, she's also a spouse, has a full-time job, volunteers at the kids' school, is a homemaker, and is a child of aging parents, and also likes to have a social life every once in a while. It's a lot to manage. And Chris does it well, well enough that she should feel great about it. But most of the time, instead, she feels overwhelmed by anxiety and stress, wondering why she can't get it all done, obsessing over the tasks that went unfinished this week or the little mistake that was made along the way. So much in life is going well, but it's hard not to feel defeated. Tim is a recent retiree who spends too much time reading the newspaper, and he is constantly dismayed at the state of the world. Though he lives here in Hyde Park and his life is stable and secure by many measures, he is haunted by the suffering of others. Wars in Ukraine and Sudan, the refugee crises in the southern U.S. and North Africa, gun violence and opioid abuse in American cities and towns. And even though there are countless ways he could do some good and alleviate some suffering in the world, his lack of control over these big problems and his inability to end the suffering mostly leave him feeling immobilized. Renee feels angry all the time. The way things are handled in her nephew's school, her boss's impossible standards, the inevitable monthly arrival of bills she can never quite get ahead of. And then there's the unpleasant store clerks and the bad drivers on the road and the dysfunctional government. 
The fact that she sometimes drinks a little too much wine and sometimes tries to live beyond her means, well, those things help temporarily and then just add to the trouble. And the thing is, sometimes when she actually makes it to yoga or church or therapy, she feels like things could be different. So in the light of that brief feeling, she keeps telling herself, if I only work a little harder, surely I can fix all of this. And well, that feeling just makes it all worse. Each of these people and countless others like them are struggling with the brokenness of the world, a thing Christians call the reality of sin. And they want to fix it and control it, and they cannot. They know intellectually, yes, we live in a broken world where things are never going to be perfect. But even though they understand that, it's hard to actually accept it and let go. What they're yearning for is a flow, a rhythm to life, a greater sense of peace but they can't seem to find it. You might have heard the quote attributed to Albert Einstein that you can choose to look at life one of two ways. You can live, live as if everything is a miracle or as if nothing is a miracle. Most of us have had a taste of both. Some days you wake up in the morning and the whole world seems sunny and beautiful and full of possibility. Love is all around, you count yourself as blessed, and yes, there are challenges, but none of them seem insurmountable. And then there are other days when you feel like everything you touch just goes right in the toilet. Most days, of course, are something in between. And the challenge is to figure out how to respond. Will you tilt your life more in the direction of the miraculous or will you succumb to the pull of negativity? This fall I'm going to be following a theme like this in my sermons for October and November. How faith guides us more toward the miracle more gratitude, more purpose, more reasons to feel alive. In November, we'll look at four different elements of our church community that invite us into that kind of rich aliveness, the ways that we can rise up together into life in Christ. But first, here in October, we'll explore the, the biblical foundations of this way of life. So we'll take a look at four foundational narratives in the Old Testament. One from the creation, one from the exodus, one from the prophets, and finally one from wisdom texts. Stories that give us roots for miraculous growth and living in the world. We're going to start today with the creation stories in Genesis. And I said stories plural on purpose. There are two distinct stories of the creation in Genesis. 
And they come from two distinct traditions within ancient Judaism, and that's because each one of these stories is trying to make its own point. The first story in Genesis 1 is the well-known story of God forming the world in six days, declaring it good and in the image of God, and then resting on the seventh day. This story is consistent with myths from other ancient cultures about the forming of the world by separating light from darkness and water from dry land. And it serves the purpose in our tradition of glorifying God as the author of all life and establishing Sabbath as the weekly practice that reminds us to ground our lives in faith. Genesis chapter 2 tells another story, the one we heard from today, the one commonly understood and talked about as the story of Adam and Eve. Now this story arises out of a male-dominant culture and it is not a good source of wisdom about modern gender roles, but what it does do is set up the idea that we'll be talking about this fall. That God invites us to say yes to a life that is abundant, rich, free, miraculous, and to say no to things in life that threaten to take that goodness away. Here's how the story goes. God creates the world and creates Adam. The Hebrew ha-adam actually means the human. And God creates the animals, and then the woman is formed out of the rib of the human, and they find themselves in the Garden of Eden, surrounded by this lush landscape of flowing rivers and flowering plants and everything in creation that feels like life and vitality. In the garden, there are two notable trees. The first is the tree of life, and the second is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The humans are to eat of the fruit of all the trees in the garden, including the tree of life, but not of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this signals the very important point of the second creation story, that while the first story tells us that God creates the world and calls all of it very good, in the second story, the possibility of not good also exists. What is this second tree and what does it stand for? There are many possibilities, but most often it has been claimed that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the tree that allows us to play God. It is not a tree of just evil. It's a tree of imagining that one can control good and evil. It's a tree of pride. It's a tree of a false sense of control. When human beings eat of that tree, Instead of seeing all of creation as good the way that God intended it, they start to see themselves as the ones who decide what is good and what is not. 
Theologian and author Brian McLaren describes what happens when we put ourselves in God's place. When we seek to make judgments, which inevitably means to misjudge. We judge, for instance, that this piece of land is valuable and worth preserving, while that river is okay to pollute. We discover that we judge that this person or tribe is good and deserves our friendship or protection, but that one is okay to defeat and dominate and enslave. This animal is good and deserves to survive, but that one can be driven to extinction in order to serve our interests. This is what happens when humans judge the world. And whether it is in our physical strength or our sexuality or our intellect, playing God means that our gifts, which were meant for creativity and generosity, often become means of selfishness and destruction. And whether it is the problems of the world or the struggles of our own lives, when we play God, we begin to look at life as a list of projects things that are within our control and which we must fix. And when we do that, human beings are focusing on original sin, a human creation, forgetting that God created us for original goodness. Now, I want you to remember that this is not just a story about two ancient people named Adam and Eve. This is a story about the human, all of humanity. None of us could have made a different choice than the one that was made by Adam and Eve. As much as we might like to turn back the clock and wonder what might have happened if we had stayed in Eden, that is not the point. The purpose of this story is that it is meant to be an etiology. The scientists among you might know that word. It provides an explanation, an origin story that provides an explanation for how things came to be the way they are. This story tells us why human beings today find ourselves in a world of brokenness. For people like Chris, or Tim, or Renee, myself, maybe you too, people who I talked about at the start of this sermon. The beginning of wisdom for people like us is realizing that we are not alone. We all have moments of feeling like Chris, or Tim, or Renee. All humans struggle with our foolish desire for more control over ourselves and mastery over the world. Maybe that would be nice, but we're probably not going to get it. And in that, you are not alone. Everyone wishes the world and our own lives were less broken. But the only way to make progress with that and progress toward happiness and peace is to decrease our control and our need for it and to increase our acceptance and our allowance for the grace of God to fill our lives. 
The other thing that comes along with that is God's invitation to humility. Hand in glove with the wisdom that we can't control everything is humility. The realization that we were never meant to be God. So leave up to God the job of judging the world, for only God is up to the task. Embracing humility and letting go of control, it's one of the things that faith is all about. And it's grounded in this morning's story. In this story, two people stand in a garden at the dawn of time. And they are still standing there today. You might call them Adam and Eve, or Chris, or Tim, or Renee, or you, or me. Every day we arise in a beautiful world God has created good, and there is a lot of possibility out there, including the possibility for not good. And near where we stand, there are two trees. One of the knowledge of good and evil, a tree that tempts us to play God for ourselves and attempt to control so much more than we can. And the other, a tree of life. A tree that invites us to place our trust in God to walk away from our obsessive desires for control and instead to eat of the fruit that helps us give up our lives to the one who created us. And when we are fed daily with the nourishment from that tree, we begin to recover the image of a world created for good. And we start on the road of seeing more of life as a miracle. Amen.